Good evening. How you guys doing tonight? Good to see you here. If you have your Bibles, open it to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to finish the 8th chapter here this evening. We're going to start at verse 18, but before we start, let's once again come before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we take this time and look at the scriptures, Father, may they be alive and powerful and sharper than a a two-edged sword. May they divide between our, our soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Father, may they exhort, correct, reprove us. May they do a lasting work within our hearts here tonight. As we recognize your words, we recognize that they are the words of life. And Father, you have given us these words to change our lives. And so as we hear them tonight, may we have those ears to hear. May we have a heart to be receptive to all that you have for us. May we take these things personally. May it not be about, oh, that would be good for someone else, but God, this is for us. Speak to us. Lord, may we hear your voice. May you speak our name and may speak to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we are continuing in Jesus' ministry, in chapter 8, we're going to look at three stories or three perspectives, actually, of how we respond to following Jesus, how we can be disciples. And the first story is how we can follow or talks about how we follow on our own terms with my own expectations. The second looks at how it takes us sometimes where we don't really want to go. In other words, when you're going to be a follower of Christ, sometimes he takes you where you don't plan on going or where you don't necessarily want to go. And the third aspect is, He comes with power and authority to change our lives, but we don't really want or welcome all the change that he wants to bring. And we can probably find ourselves in one or maybe some of all of these areas. And so as we go and we look at these things, it's always easy to try and apply these things to others, but we seldom, or not seldom, but sometimes we don't think about it for ourselves. And I want to encourage us all to see maybe where we fit in each of these areas. Starting in verse 18, we see, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, And birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I remember when I first read this passage, I thought, well, that's an interesting response to that question. Why did he say that? But you see, here is someone who comes and it specifically tells us that this person was a teacher of the law who came to him. And Jesus' response gives us insight into what was really taking place here. This teacher of the law is coming to Jesus and basically saying, Jesus, it's your lucky day. 
I'm going to follow you. Yes, and you can imagine him looking at Jesus' disciples, this bunch of fishermen, this ragtag bunch of group, you know, that picking their nose or doing whatever they did, you know, they're just sitting there, this motley crew, and he comes up and he goes, oh man, this guy needs some help. Jesus, I'm here, I'm going to follow you, and it's a good thing for you, I'm going to really up this ministry, you know, you're fortunate, Jesus, that I want to follow you. I'll probably be put straight to varsity, I'll probably be coach, I'll probably be quarterback here of the team, looking at this group here. It's really your lucky day, Jesus, because I'm going to follow you. And you see, he's coming to him with what he has, and he comes to him with what he wants to expect from this ministry. You know, Jesus, I've been to Bible college, I've been to seminary, I've got all this that I can offer you. And I'm a little bit above the others here. After all, I'm a teacher of the law. They're just fishermen. I don't know where you pick them up. We'll get some new disciples later on when you and I get to talking about this. And it's almost like he steps in. He's like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus' response shows us that he was going to follow Jesus because he wanted some kind of status. And Jesus' response to him is, listen, you know, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests. I don't even have a place to live. So whatever you are thinking you're going to get by coming to me, it's not going to work. I'm not going to fulfill what you're looking for in ministry. Whatever you're desiring to take place, it's doubtful that it's really going to happen when you come and follow me. This isn't how you're going to make it to the top. This isn't how you're going to make a name for yourself. I remember years ago when I was working at a, a church in Alhambra, I was putting together the radio program. But I wasn't just putting together the radio program. I was also doing the music. I was also the high school leader. I was also doing missions. I was kind of, and I also swept the floors. You know, I was just kind of doing it, everything that needed getting done. But we had a radio program that was on a couple of the big stations that were there. And this guy came to the office because he wanted to apply for, you know, a job there for the radio station. And I said, well, come on in. He came into my office. And my office, where I had the radio equipment, the reel-to-reel back in those days, you're going, what? What's a reel-to-reel? Tape. Anyway... My office was basically a closet where we stored all the equipment because we were uh, transitional. We moved from the office to Sunday mornings. We met at a theater, and then on Wednesday or Thursday, we met somewhere else at another church. And so we were a transitioning ministry. We're on the go. And so my office was where everything ended up, all the children's stuff, all the stuff, it was in my office. I had this little hallway you could walk through, and there I had the reel-to-reels. There was no windows. It was kind of claustrophobic if you'd go in there. And I said, well, sure, come on in. And I remember his face when he walked into my office. He was like, is this it? I go, yeah, this is it. He goes, oh. And it wasn't what he was expecting. And then he asked the question, well, how much does it pay? I said, well, we won't really pay you, but if you want to help out, that'd be great. 
and he smiled and, and he said, okay, well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for showing me. And I, I could tell he left thinking, no way. You know, and I just felt like saying, you know, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests. I don't have a place to lay down in here. This isn't what you were expecting. There is no job to take place here that's going to help you press forward in your recording career. I'm doing this because there was no one else. I happen to be the closest one who was able to understand some of that language, and I still don't, you know. And some people come to ministry and come to Jesus and follow Jesus because they want to get something. You know, we could have this attitude towards Jesus, towards church. I'm here because I want something. Sometimes people even use that to their advantage where they say, you know, um, if I, I don't get what I want, I'm, I'm going to leave. Okay, you know, I'll, I'm going to go to another church. You know, this really isn't meeting my needs. You know, I, I don't What am I supposed to do? I, I can't help everyone. I can't meet everyone's needs. I, I, this isn't here for me to meet all your needs. We don't follow Jesus for those things so he can meet my needs. We follow him because he's Lord, because it's the right thing to do. And so many times people have this understanding, well, if I'm going to come to Jesus, I'm going to get the things I want. He's going to make everything better. But Jesus basically identifies himself in a sense, in a homeless way. In other words, my home isn't here. My kingdom is my home and I'm not looking to develop my home here. And so this person, we don't know how we responded to that. That's all we get from his dialogue. And the next one is very similar. Is in verse 21, he says, another disciple said to him. Now, I want you to understand, see, another disciple. Okay, this isn't just some, this is someone who's coming to be a follower. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, harsh words. I know that some believe that when the person says, let me bury my father, they're saying, let me wait till my father dies and then I'll come follow you. But either way, Jesus's response is saying, your priorities are wrong. Let the dead bury their, their dead. And what Jesus is doing is he's telling us that if your love for family is more important than your love for me, then it's basically idolatry. Jesus is addressing where he falls in prior, the priority level to this man. It can be other things besides family, but Jesus is basically saying, you know what? If you're going to follow me, I need to have a priority in your life. And I wonder, do we put off Christ until other things are taken care of? You know, maybe you have the sense of God really wants to, to get a hold of my life and God is really wanting to do something with me and through me. But my career, I really need to establish my career. Or, you know, wait till my kids get out of the house. Sometimes that doesn't happen, okay? Sometimes they just keep coming back. 
And so maybe that's not going to happen, but do we put those things off until other things are, are taken care of, until I graduate, until that promotion comes? Then I want to go and follow Jesus. I remember some years ago, a young man came up to me and he said that I really feel God is impressing me to go and be a part of a mission work that's down in Mexico. I said, oh, that's great. He says, but I'm in school right now and I haven't gotten my degree yet. And my, my parents are, are pressing me to, to finish school. And once I finish school, then I can go down to Mexico and do those things. What do you think I should do? And I hate it when people tell me, what do you think I should do? It's like, I, I feel like that I love that part when Jesus, you know, these two people came up to me and said, Jesus, you know, tell him to give me my inheritance. And he says, who am I to judge over you? Sometimes I feel like using that verse, you know, who am I to tell you what to do? But I, I basically said to him, if Jesus is impressing you to do something, you need to do it. But my parents, they're not really for it. I'm like, well, if Jesus is pressing you to do something, it's more important than what your parents are pressing you to do. I didn't go over well with his parents for a while, but then later on they actually thanked me for encouraging him to go. But you see, sometimes we place our priorities, well, let me take care of this before I respond to what Jesus is wanting. And we need to be careful because recognizing the importance of our Savior needs to be a priority and of more importance. Later on in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is going to say, he who loves father, sister, mother, brothers more than me is not worthy of me. That you need to lose your life if you want to find it. There is a priority that he wants in our lives that's above every other. And it's important that we recognize this. You know, Jesus is asking us to put him in that first place, to to give him the utmost, which is the first commandment. You will have no other gods before me. I want to be supreme because I am supreme. This isn't for his ego's sake. Jesus isn't doing this because, you know, I want to be number one. I want to be top on the charts. He's not doing this. Jesus is doing this because if Jesus is not number one in our lives, it is going to be devastating. And it's easy to put other things in that top position. Maybe it's your boyfriend or girlfriend, your husband, wife, your kids, your career, your school, something else comes before Jesus. You know, you've got the, the boyfriend number one, you've got the job number two, and maybe Jesus falls in number three. I, I'm, I'm a disciple, I'm following Jesus, but he's not number one. And you see, you need to understand something. Your girlfriend, she makes a great girlfriend, but she's a terrible savior. Your job might be a wonderful way of provision and taking care of you and your family, but it is a terrible savior. And there is only one savior. And when we get that out of line, we find that our lives start to crumble. The priorities are out of whack. 
and things start to fall apart. We, we start losing who we really are. Because remember, in him is life. And if he is not the priority, we are settling for less than life. And so Jesus requires that precedence, and it's for our benefit. He's preeminent. He's above before all because he is the Savior. And so we see in these two men this desire to to use Jesus to help them to, to follow him, but not to give him the priority. Either it's for their own motive or it's not top on the list. It's something that's of convenience. I want to follow you, Jesus, on my own terms, my own expectations. I don't want you to crowd my life too much, but I believe in you. I wonder if we fall into that at times. Then it goes on in verse 23. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. That's a beautiful verse. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What I know about this passage, I, I don't really like. What, what I understand of this passage is that if I'm going to follow Jesus, that he's going to test my faith. And I don't really like that. That makes me a little uncomfortable. I don't know about you guys, but I don't, I don't like tests. I always hated it at school. You have a test tomorrow. I just like, oh, I feel sick. Is there any way I can be not there tomorrow? And I'd try. I'd do anything. I'd stand by the heater so my head would get hot, you know, and then go to my mom. I'm sick. <laughs> she must have knew because she always says, well, go to school. And then if you're sick, they'll send you back home. Like rats. That's what I was. wasn't trying for something else. And the idea that my faith is going to be tested is difficult. That he's going to allow me to go through times of suffering, times of difficulty, so that I can see where I really am. So I can see what my security is really put in. Because it's in those times of testing that we really get a clear understanding of what's going on. It's that time of difficulty, even as James says, count it all joy when you fall into those different trials because the testing of your faith is producing perseverance. Oh, yay. <laughs> I just don't feel, oh, yay. I, I don't count it all joy. It's like, oh, no, here comes a test. Oh, how bad is it going to be, Jesus? How long is it going to go for? What do I have to endure before you, you make things easy again? And he's going to allow us to go through these times because it's going to show us who we really are. We don't say it, but sometimes we have this attitude, 
Lord, I gave my life to you, but if you're not going to just bless me, then can you just please leave me alone? And we don't say it verbally because that sounds so bad, but I think sometimes that is my attitude. Lord, I'm going to follow you, but if you're not going to just make life good, can you just leave me alone? I don't want to be tested. I don't want the difficulty. I don't want the hardship. And what I see in this passage is Jesus is going to test us. And it's especially in those times of difficulty that we're going to see who we really are. You know, I want you to make me happy. Not necessarily holy. Because to make me holy, then I know I have to go through the testing. But if it's just happy, hey, we'll get in the boat, there'll be no storm, we'll get to the other side, we'll have some pita bread and some food and sing some songs, everything will be hunky-dory. But that's not always the case. And it's interesting that right after they make the decision to follow Jesus, that the storm, suddenly there's a storm. You know, you think, these guys are probably in the boat and they're in this storm. Man, it would have been safer if we went to the funeral with that guy. You know, it's just like, Lord, let me go bury my father. We should have stayed there. He was at least safe. But no, now they're in this storm. And you see, the silent conversation that Jesus is having right now with these disciples in this story is, who do you say I am and who do you trust? When he stepped into that boat, he was having a conversation with them. He was wanting and seeing if they really believed that he was who he is. When I do the dog training, I'll go into a house and immediately I'll put the dog on a leash and I'll take the leash and I'll just start talking to the owner and I start ignoring the dog and the dog's, you know, wanting to sniff me or jump up on me and I'm moving him away and the dog's trying to walk away from me and I give him a, a, a little tug and make him stay in this area and I tell the owner, I'm having a silent conversation with your dog right now. No words are taking place, but I'm letting them know who I am, that I'm not going to tolerate them walking away. I'm not going to tolerate them jumping on me. I'm setting a precedence of who I am, even though no words are being spoken. And Jesus, with them in this boat, is having a conversation, and he's saying, who do you guys say that I am? Because I don't think Jesus was caught off guard when the storm came. I don't think he's, oh, a storm. Oh, man. I, I, wasn't, I, I mean, he's sleeping. He's snoozing there. And you see, what we have to understand is who do you say Jesus is when the storm hits your life? When the marriage isn't what you thought it would be? Who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? Is he Lord? Does he still have your life? Is he still in control when it seems that the waves are coming over you? When your kids aren't in the place that you thought they would be. After all, I raised them as Christians and they're not who I thought they would be. Who is Jesus at that time? When the 
doctors come in and they tell you, you have cancer. Who do you think Jesus is at that place in your life? Where is he in your life in those times, in those storms, in those circumstances? Who do you say he is now? Because that's when our faith is tested. That's when the reality of life hits us. And Jesus would ask us in this silent conversation, he'd say, who do you say I am? You're following me? Are you going to follow me even though these things aren't going the way you thought they would? And how can you fix those things? How do you fix the storm? You can't fix it. How do you fix the cancer? You can't fix it. Sometimes the kids, you can't fix them. Sometimes the marriage, you can't fix it. What are you going to row harder? Just keep rowing. Row, row. It's not going to make the storm go away. Are you going to scream fearful prayers to God? God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. Or are you going to rest in who he is? That he has your life and he's going to care for you in spite of the circumstances, in spite of what happens you can trust him as your Lord. Who do you say he is when the storm hits you? I think a lot of times we get frantic. And really, what Jesus would have us do is rest. Instead of being frantic in our prayers and, Oh, God, 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 God. He just says, you need to be still. You need to know that I am God. You need to have faith in me in this circumstance here and now. And, you know, waking him up seems so normal, doesn't it? I mean, what else would you do? And it almost seems like he's upset because they woke him up. Get that impression. You have little faith. I mean, I would have woken him up, wouldn't you? The storm's coming. I mean, what are you going to do? Let him sleep? You know, we thought we'd let you sleep. You know, we put a life vest on you just in case, but, you know, wanted to let you stay there. No, you, you would you would go to him immediately. I mean, you put it in a modern scenario. If you're on an airplane and Jesus says, hey, we're going to New York. Okay, great. You get in the plane and then he, he falls asleep and all of a sudden you hit the turbulence and, and all of a sudden they start getting worse and the bins start opening up and suitcases are falling out and then the oxygen masks fall down. And so what are you going to do? You're going to put yours on first and then you put one on Jesus, you know, because that's what they tell you to do. No, you're going to start waking him up. You're going to say, uh, Jesus, um, we're not going to New York, FYI. We're going down. Just thought you should know about that right now. That's our reaction. And Jesus says, why are you so little faith? We're, we're going to make it. Don't you know who I am? That who I am, I have power over the elements if I am with you, you do not have to be afraid ever. But I've got cancer. I am life. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And whoever dies and believes in me will live. Do you believe this?
I have the power. I am the Lord. And I think sometimes Jesus will let us row until our arms are exhausted, but he's always pushing us to trust. He will allow our our faith to be tested and tested until we finally surrender and say, I, I can't row anymore. I can't scream anymore. I can't cry anymore. I surrender. I trust in you. And I think the reason Jesus was sleeping and the whole reason that this took place is because he wanted them to know, if you know who I am, you will not have to be afraid. And I think that's something that we need to recognize as well. Today I went and visited someone who is at the detention center. And as I was talking to them, finding out you know, when they were going to be released and what happened, and they had violated their parole, so they got put back into the detention center. And they were supposed to be out by Christmas, and I was talking to them, and they said, yeah, I, I talked to my parole, and they said, yeah, you can get out by Christmas. But then I went before the judge, and the judge looked at me and said, you haven't learned your lesson yet. You need to stay in longer. And the judge told me the next time that I violate parole, I'm going upstate into prison. And he said, this is my last chance. And the judge said, do you understand? And he said, yeah, I understand. And as I was there talking with them, they told me, he goes, you know what? I'm really thankful. Because he was right. I didn't learn my lesson. But now I have. And I thought it was so interesting as they were telling me this because there was this recognition that even though I'm in this West Valley Detention Center and I'm wearing a jumpsuit and things aren't comfortable, I, I needed this. It was good for me to hear this from the judge. It was good that the judge left me in here a couple more months so that I could learn my lesson. It was good. And they recognize the hand of God on their life, even in the detention center, even in those circumstances. I thought, how glorious is that? What a wonderful thing. This is discipleship that trusts. This is discipleship that follows in spite of the storms. This is those who follow Jesus even when the going gets rough. And I, I mean, this is where we want to go. This is who we want to be. And, and we see this, that they were amazed. Even the waves obeyed him. When will we be amazed and recognize he is in control? He is in control. And then finally, in verse 28, we see another instance. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed times? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. 
he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported at this all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. What are they going to say? Jesus just delivered this man. What are they going to say? Then the whole town met Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. This is a strange story. This is a bizarre story. There's so many questions I have with this story. If you ask me, I probably won't answer because I don't know. But what is interesting here is there's this man who's possessed, or these men that are possessed, and they're so violent that no one can pass that way. Stay away from that area. It's like the ultimate spooky house. You know, it's the haunted house. No, it's the haunted demon-possessed guys. I mean, at night, you probably hear these sounds coming out of them. You know, however demon-possessed guys would sound at night. I mean, it's just creepy, eerie, freaky, okay? There's these guys that are there. And they're just messing with everyone. And they know who Jesus is. It's amazing. They say to him, you know, what do we want? What do you want with a son of God? It seems like their demons are always the ones who know exactly who Jesus is. But just because they know who he is doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Right? You can have knowledge about Jesus and not go to heaven. There ain't no devil in heaven. And so they have this understanding of who Jesus is. And, and you would think that when Jesus delivers these men from being possessed, that people would rejoice, that people would be happy. You would think that they would thank Jesus for dealing with this problem, but you see, this interrupted their economy. There's no more bacon. And we were depending on the bacon. That was our bread and butter, or our bacon. And so the power of Jesus is welcome until it deals with them in a way that they don't like. Until it dealt with their finances. Until it dealt with them in this area that was important to them. Now, it's a whole weird thing, the whole pig thing going down. I mean, I'm not going to touch that. But the whole idea here is every now and then, Jesus wants to step into those areas of our lives that will change the way we do things. I remember years ago, I was sharing with this man who worked at a 7-Eleven. And it was like the 2 a.m. shift because we didn't go to bed. 
some things never change, but we would go there and we would start talking to him as we're getting our coffee and getting our Twinkies or whatever it is, the sugar and caffeine that would keep us up for another few hours. And as we're talking with him and we started sharing our faith with him and he was listening to us and he was understanding, he said, you know, I believe this and I would do this, but you know what? I cheat on my taxes and I know I'd be a hypocrite if I were to give my life to Jesus. I, could, I couldn't keep lying and I would lose money, and so no, I'm not going to accept Jesus because it's going to cost me financially. And at one point, you're like respecting his integrity. Part of you wants to go, well, I know some Christians who lie. You know, it's like, no, that's not the right thing. Well, can't you trust Jesus? Well, no, he's stepping into my finances, and I don't want to allow that. Or what about in our relationships? You know, Jesus wants to step into your relationship and he wants to make sure that you're you're taking care of your wife, that you're showing up, you're loving her, you're caring for her, you're not just checking out. It's like, oh Jesus, I'm following you. Do you have to do you have to invade that area of my life? Do you have to become so personal? And we welcome Jesus and his power until it affects us personally in the things that we don't want to change. And then we don't want him any longer. And you see, so many of us ask Jesus to leave because we really like the bacon. Yeah, Jesus, you can come into my life, but... Don't deal with this area of lust. Jesus, don't deal with this area of drugs. Don't deal with this area and fill in the blanks. I want you, but don't touch this. This belongs to me. And you see, you're someone's disciple. You're either the world's disciple or you're Jesus' disciple. And if it's not Jesus, then... What are you following after? And sometimes it's we're, it's like we're on this journey. And Jesus has called us to, to follow after him. And he says, I want you to follow after me. And we're, all right, Jesus, we're, we're gung-ho. And we get our backpack, you know, and we get our, you know, energy bars, and we get the water, and we, we, we're all set, and we start walking up the hill. And man, it feels like we've just walked Mount Everest. We've, we've just climbed as high as we can climb. And we're exhausted and we're looking over the city. And we're going to you know, take some pictures. And then Jesus taps on our shoulder and he goes, come on, we got to go up further. Further? No, let's take some pictures. Let's set up camp here. Let's, let's be comfortable. No, no. We're only at the foot of the Claremont Trails. We really got to go up higher. <laughs> Oh, I thought we were a lot farther. No, we, we need to go much higher. That's really far. That's really difficult. And then he says, you know, you need to put the backpack down. Are you sure? It's got all my, you know, supplies. I went to REI. I got a special one. No, you need to put the backpack down. We need to, to go further. And he's calling us to go in further and he's calling us to go deeper and it is tougher and it requires more of us. Have you experienced 
that from when you first maybe gave your life to Christ to years later, however long that period has been, that he keeps requiring more of you. It's like, I didn't know you'd keep wanting more. I thought I gave you my life back then and everything was cool. But you keep wanting more. And he keeps calling us in deeper and he keeps calling us higher. Wanting us to follow him. And sometimes we say, okay, I'm going to follow you. It's hard. I'll put the pack down. I'll stop trying to set up camp. I'll give up the smokes. I'm going to move forward with you. And sometimes we say, Jesus, why don't you go on? Why don't you leave now? Because this is as far as I really want to go. And what a tragedy. That there could be a life that God has for us, but because we're afraid and because it's too tough, we never step into it. It's kind of what we're talking about in Nehemiah. You know, the reason he made the difference is because he took on that challenge. He faced and moved through his fear. And what is there for us if we would follow Jesus completely, wholeheartedly? What kind of followers, disciples, are we going to be? Are we going to make it on our own terms? Are we going to follow even when it takes us where we don't want to go, where it's difficult, where it requires us to completely trust him? Or are we going to tell him, you know, you go on now. This is as far as we want to go. We, we believe in you. We've seen your power. But it's just not what we want. It's requiring too much of what I like. And those are the the battles that we have as we look at how are we going to follow Jesus? In what way are we going to give of ourselves? What kind of disciples are we going to be? And, you know, I don't have to tell you what kind we need to be. Jesus already has given us that example. He's told us what he needs to be in our lives. The, the person he is and the place he deserves and if he isn't first place, he doesn't want any place. We see that throughout the scripture. If I, you're either hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. If you love father, mother, sister, brother more than me, you're not worthy to follow me. Whoever puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. He keeps pushing us, pushing us further. Like the quote from C.S. Lewis, God will help us to be holy, but he won't help us to be anything less. And in the 30 years that I've been following Jesus, he always wants more of me. And there's always more to give. There's always more to give. And so we need to make the decision, will we give it? Well, let's pray. Father, as we finish this chapter, Lord, I, am, I was so challenged, God. And just my heart and where I am and how I follow you. 
And I pray all of us were challenged, God. I pray that you have spoken to us and that you have addressed, Lord, maybe issues that need addressing, that you've confronted us in fears and maybe misconceptions. Lord, you are always looking out for our best interests. You are always doing what is best for us if we would only recognize it. And so I, I pray that we would. I pray that our eyes have been enlightened with understanding. I, I pray that our hearts are open and malleable in your hands, Lord, that you are able to shape and mold us and that we would truly be your disciples, your followers, and not fear, not have conditions, and not ask you to leave, Lord, that we would follow you completely. And I thank you for, again, everyone here. I pray that you would encourage us with one another and bless our remaining time together, Lord. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.